Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is building a better freight brokerage with my friend Danny Frisco. Danny is the CEO and co-founder of Rapido Solutions Group, a logistics nearshoring company that serves many of the industry's leading freight brokerages. Danny is an alum of both Coyote and Blue Grace, and he knows what it takes to succeed as a freight broker. If you're trying to build a better freight brokerage, please take a listen to my conversation with Danny Frisco. How's it going, Danny? Doing well, Joe. How about yourself? Doing great. Danny, please introduce yourself and your company where you're calling from today. I am Danny Frisco. I am the CEO and co-founder at Rapido Solutions Group, and I am calling in from Chicago today. Nice, nice. It's balmy over there this time of year. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's quite cold. <laughs> what does Rapido do? We provide nearshore staffing and services to clients in the supply chain industry. So we have a U.S. operations based out of Chicago. Most of our operations are down in Guadalajara, Mexico. That's where my co-founder lives and uh, manages the office down there. And we have about 700 employees uh, down in Guadalajara. Nice. So what problem? So when I think about, so you're nearshoring, offshoring, what kind of functions are you out? I guess that's nearshoring. What kind of functions are you doing down there in Guadalajara? Yeah, so about 40% of our staff that works for our clients are in some type of sales role with a heavy focus on carrier sales. That's where my background was from. Uh, another 40% are all things customer service. So that could be tracking and tracing, dispatching, just kind of issue resolution. Then remaining 20% are all things back office. So back office thoughts could be traditional ARAP, um, can also be load building, scheduling, data entry, just more of those type of routine roles. So who are your customers? Who's the sweet spot for Rapido? Big bulk of our clients today are freight brokerages. So about 70% of our clientele are freight brokerages. Remaining 20% are carriers, and then we work with quite a few technology providers in the space. So TMS companies, back office technology type companies will do customer service roles for them. It's interesting how quickly this has just caught on as almost the norm in this space. I bet if you went back 10 years ago, there'd be very few people working outside of the U.S. who were working for U.S.-based freight brokerages. Am I right to say that? Yeah, I, I think that's spot on. I spent close to 10 years in the industry, and we had very few outsourced employees or employees that weren't actually even physically in the office with us. It, it was traditionally oh, always work. a space. <laughs> we didn't do that either. Yeah, where traditionally it was always you had to be in the office, you had to be with your team. Um, I think that's obviously changed over time and COVID had a lot of influence on that as well. We've had a lot of changes in the last decades. So we started using transportation management systems. So it doesn't matter. I can access that anywhere. It's not on a mainframe where I have to say, okay, you got to be close to the mainframe to use it. We have things in the cloud, internet everywhere, 
I think also our the countries that we're working with, whether it be Mexico or the Philippines, all of a sudden those countries are connected to us in a very real way where they may they were connected 20 years ago, but not in the way they are today. And the technology has basically, and, and, and right now we're doing this uh, interview remotely via Squadcast. That wasn't a thing five, seven years ago. So we've all of a sudden had all this. And right now, if I was working with you, it wouldn't matter if we're in the same office or not. We can work remote. As soon as somebody says, I'm going to work from home, then you go, it doesn't matter where the home's at. Not so much. <laughs> yeah, I work from home pretty much every day. So my entire team is always remote to me. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So Danny, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started Rapido. Yeah, so pretty much spent my entire life in Chicago. Grew up in Wrigleyville, lived there till I was about 10 or 11. And then I moved to a neighborhood called Portage Park. Finished up grade school there and then went to high school. And then after high school, I went to the University of Iowa. While I was there, I majored in finance. And then when I graduated, I always thought that I was going to go into finance. Just so happened by the end of the time I was there and I graduated in 2010, it was the tail end of the recession still. Weren't a ton of jobs in finance available. Had a couple friends working at Coyote Logistics. So I figured... Let me go check it out. I'll get some sales experience. Always good to have, but I'm probably going to last a year or two and then try and go back into finance when the economy turns around a little bit. I've spent close to seven years at Coyote. I feel like a lot of people have that story. They just fell into it. I definitely fell into it. Some of my career highlights even there were being one of the lead sales members on my team. I started off in carrier sales on the reefer side of things and then moved into management. That was a big highlight for myself. Within two and a half years, I went from a rep to a manager. And then I managed upwards of about 25 sales reps by the time I left Coyote. Did a quick stint at a trucking company and then finished my logistics career at Blue Grace Logistics. So while I was at Blue Grace, they had received an investment from Warburg not too long before I started. What they were doing was trying to open up their truckload division. So at the same time, they were always a franchise model and very based on LTL. They started buying up their franchises, making it more centralized, and then also hired my boss, Mark Ford, to come over and start up their truckload division. So I played a hand in that. Started in there offices in the suburbs of Chicago. We ended up moving to the Board of Trade downtown Chicago and grew the sales team from, I think we had about three sales reps when I started and about 40 by the time I left. And then that's a, a large office still to this day. Wow. So when and why did you start Rapido? So while I was at Blue Grace I noticed that a lot of our customer service facing roles were done in Tampa and they were hard to staff for, hard to hire for, hard to retain. So I actually wanted to look into this solution for Blue Grace. So I started researching different companies that were out there, different providers in the outsourcing space that help logistics facing companies. 
And there weren't a ton of providers at the time. So I that's what spawned the idea. I saw a gap in the market. I saw an opportunity to go into a different geography than some of the competition has been in Mexico and, and really start Rapido. So I started working on Rapido middle of 2019, quit my job at Blue Grace at the end of October in 2019, and then really was full on Rapido moving forward. We didn't start operating until about February of 2020. So we're just coming up on our four years here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I think it was probably a good time. We had a boom market during COVID. Obviously, not so much a boom market now. Uh, <laughs> but I think we saw a huge growth in remote work. A lot of companies now are very comfortable saying we are fully remote. You just said, hey, I, I work remote with my team. All of a sudden, we saw some big changes. And by the way, you mentioned you worked at both Coyote, which seems like a magnet for anybody in the Chicago land area just getting out of school. <laughs> it doesn't matter where you want to go. At that time, it was just sucking everybody in. But working at first Coyote and then at a trucking company and lastly, Blue Grace, it's like a PhD in the freight brokerage business. It really is. Yeah, when I was when I started at Coyote, I was one of the ones who worked out of the Lake Forest office when I first started. So we had maybe around 200 to 250 people. Uh, by the end of that close to 7 years, we had 2000 plus people at the company. We had offices all over the US. So I definitely Maybe didn't get the PhD then, but got the MBA and then the PhD came later, I guess you could say. <laughs> exactly. So before we hit record, we we're talking about building a better freight brokerage. And we were talking about some of the real challenges. There was a boom time during COVID, which seems, what was that, 20, 30 years ago now? <laughs> <laughs> it feels like forever since we've been in a booming market. But some of these things, the challenges in freight brokerage, so or Believe it or not, we're not going to talk a lot about tech today. So most people would say, I think a lot of people would say, oh, the building a better freight brokerage, that begins with technology. I think whatever technology you're using, that becomes almost table stakes. But what we don't think about being table stakes, and I think it truly is having a nearshoring or outsourcing partner, it just wrap it up because we have lots of challenges in this business and your competition is has a partner like that. So it almost reminds me, we call our, par our carriers our partner carriers. Without that, you're out of business. I think a lot of times they say our tech partners, and it used to be tech partner. Now it's tech partners, right? I probably have partners in the visibility space and then maybe factoring, payments, could be weather like the tomorrow IO. There are so many killer apps out there. We look at those companies as all necessary. I need those partners or I can't compete. I honestly think if I don't have the workforce partner, I'm in trouble. I'm, I'm assuming you agree. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. And what I think most of the really successful companies do today is they look at it in two different lanes, right? How can we automate as much as possible? And then how can we outsource as much as possible? So yeah, technology will always be there, but you want to have a strong staffing 
nearshore and outsourcing partner um, to help your business because you still need people at the end of the day. That's never going away. You still need people to do the jobs, manage the relationships with your partners, and do some of the work that technology is not doing. Yep. The first thing I want to talk about is cost pressure. So right now, maybe of the stats, but I heard somebody not so long ago say something like the the rates and freight for freight brokers like down sixty seven percent from high, which has been during COVID. And so costs all went up everywhere. If you have employees in the U.S., they want more money than they did just a few years ago because their dollar isn't going as far as it once did. Gas is up. Everything seems to be, all the expenses are up. Rates are down. So it is an incredibly difficult space. Both of us saw a post today. Today is one January 22nd. My friend, Kevin Hill from Brush Pass Research posted something that we're down 7% on freight brokers from the peak. And so we're starting to see some companies just fail. I feel bad for them. I think it's probably, I feel bad for the individual stories. I feel good for the industry. <laughs> but that is result of these cost pressures. And, and that begins with unit economic costs. Please speak to both. Elaborate. Yeah, so you hit the nail on the head. Right now, revenues are down, margins are being squeezed. And and let's be honest, historically, our industry is not one with high margins. It's always been very slim margins. And then you think of there's 20,000 brokerages or whatever the number is, all that competition just creates price pressure at the end of the day. So brokerages have to look at their OPEX. Typically, the biggest line item at any brokerage is going to be salaries and benefits. So you want to look at how can we make our people more efficient? How can we do more with less? So that's when you look at technology. And then how can we do it for a cheaper cost at the end of the day? That's when you look at it from the outsourcing or nearshore staffing lines. So typically, we're saving our clients anywhere from about 35 to 45% um, on their employee costs that they would actually see in the States. Wow. And so I want to also talk about the u- unit economic costs. So if you think, uh, you mentioned 25,000 freight brokers. I think that's what Kevin Hill has said. The f- top 1,200 or 1,500 have 80% of the market. And then there's a whole bunch of growth cap companies. And again, great companies in in the middle and, and it, even at the, the smaller companies are doing they're serving a purpose so they wouldn't be there, right? And the top companies we know invest a lot in technology. And they're using that technology to reduce their cost per transaction. So if one company said we spent hundreds of millions of dollars on technology to lower our cost for every transaction we do, they have an edge. And then if they furthermore go and say, we're also partnering with Rapido and they helped us reduce our largest cost people. They have another edge. So if you're one of those small or mid cap companies, they're saying, how do we compete? It's the same old story. Partner up. <laughs> when you needed technology, you partnered up. When you needed new carriers, you got new carrier partners. It just keeps coming back. It's the same old answer. Is there a partner for that? And there is now. You want to reduce your costs of and have some relief on this 
unit economic costs. This is one really good way to do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the next thing I want to talk to you about is before we hit record, we're having a conversation about what brokerages do real well versus what they don't do real well. (laughs) And you've said to me that brokers are unbelievably good at, at finding trucks and moving loads. That's what they've always done. But they have not always been good at recruiting, training, and retaining. And if I could just go one step further on that, for a long time, and I'm not, I don't know all brokerages did this, but I know a lot did. They would get those young people coming out of college and they would say, we hired a cohort of 10 or 20 and we put them on the phones after a week of training and said, you need to make a hundred phone calls a day or 50 phone calls a day. You need to get some business. And in a few months, that cohort would be down to a few people. <laughs> Most got fired or quit. It would, And you go, wait, is that real? Yes, that was a real way of doing business. Not so long ago. We've come a long way in a short time. But that recruiting, training, and retaining still isn't a strength for most brokers. Am I right to say that? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's very challenging. Um, it's challenging for all companies, right? I think what I saw at Coyote was they took their culture very seriously. And Marianne Silver ran the whole HR people operations side of things. And my partner and I, Roberto, who lives down in Guadalajara, he's our COO and manages the office down there. He was also with me at Coyote. So we saw firsthand the type of company we want to have. Yeah. So we saw how well they trained people and provided for them and and got their readiness good to go for your first day on the floor. So a lot of those ways to how we go out, how we find the individuals, how we train them, and then how we retain them, uh, we took some of those ideas from Coyote early on that we learned. And then I think it's just having that investment into your people. At the end of the day, we look at our client relationships as a 50-50 partnership, right? Our clients have to be involved with the individuals we staff for them down in Mexico. They have to be there to support them just like they would any other employee that works remote for them in the U.S. Um, What we're taking on is another 50% of that. So we're providing a great culture, a great in-office experience for our employees, and really making sure that they're set up for success down in Mexico. Yeah, I've talked to you before we hit record about this is that when we talk about recruiting, we're, the expectations for employees is much higher than it was not so long ago. So you can't mistreat employees and expect that they'll stay. We've also learned here, I'm talking about the U.S. population right now, a lot of people say, I am working from home, plain and simple. If you won't let me work from home, I will find another job. And they will. We know that they will. More, It's a little tighter right now, but overall, they know I can find a job. And I'm not saying we're spoiled, but we have the ability. We have a very good economy here. We're able to make that remote work work for us. And I can imagine right now running a brokerage where some people say, I'm going to work from home. And you're like, I don't want that. Maybe from a culture perspective, maybe from a, I want you to, I want you to be in the office so you can share your ideas and that and have that beehive effect going. 
we don't have that problem. We outsource to companies like yours <laughs> because you're, you've created a culture and an environment down there that, hey, they know they're coming to work. They're already, they're going to be working remote, but they're going to be doing it from your office. Am I right to say that? Yeah, absolutely. So they're remote to the client, but they're physically down in our offices in, in Guadalajara. I go down there about once a month, spend a week or so down there at a time. Absolutely love it. And it, it's a great time. And a lot of our clients do the same. They'll come down and visit our employees. But for the most part, everyone's in office. It's an awesome atmosphere. It's really fun to be around. Yep. If you create the right, by the way, that also, I've read articles about this. I'm sure you have too. Companies that expect people to come to the office, there better be something in the office for them. And not just, oh, it's a condition of your employment. <laughs> that culture has to be right. If you get to the office and go, yeah, the office is poorly appointed and there's no one to talk to and there's no, no reason I'm here. Because I've worked in places where I'm like, I'm alone over here. What the hell am I even in here for? I could work from home. Yeah. And or for whatever reason, create a toxic culture or if it's loud or if it's uh, drab and gray, <laughs> like no one wants to work there. But if you're going into a culture that you're like, yeah, my friends are there. I, I work, we work hard, but my friends are there. And I, we talk about the game and catch up on what's going on in each other's lives while we work like the olden days. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and you had touched on recruiting, right? I, I think it's important to note that finding that profile who also wants to be in an office atmosphere. And most companies in our space might not even have a full recruiting team. They just grab their HR person. And cost pressures. Yeah. And say, hey, go out and hire five to 10 sales reps. And it, it can be very tough for a small, medium brokerage to go out and find talent these days because of the competition. We have a full-time recruiting staff. We hire anywhere from about 30 to 50 people a month. It's a very big core competency of ours. And then going into the nuts and bolts, it's making sure that profile wants to work in an office, wants to have that atmosphere, because at the same time, not everyone wants that either. Yep. And I think that's so important is that you, you, you're... The thing you focus on is recruiting, training, onboarding, and retaining clients. That is not typically what most brokerages would say is their primary function. So in, a, in effect, what you've said is we'll outsource the stuff that is hard and that is not going to be the focus. Just like somebody says, we're going to outsource accounting. And why not? They outsource it to an accountant outside. Why? Because that's their primary function and we're not very good in-house at that right now. So I'm assuming you do a lot of training down there? We do. So every single one of our new hires gets put through a Logistics 101 course. Um, that's their first week in the office with us. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Yeah. So that really prepares them for going to work for their clients. It's very interactive. That's anywhere from eight to 12 people per class, I'd say, typically. And you go in with a bunch of different people, go into a bunch of different accounts, you're playing games, you're doing kind of sales pitches and some shadowing and stuff like that. So uh, really good for our employees to get started. Yep. So, you, so you're doing the recruiting, you're doing the training, the onboarding. How's the retention in your 
Guadalajara office versus retention here in the States for an average brokerage? So it's typically a little higher. So we put a lot of emphasis in our culture. We always, Roberto and I talk to the new hires. We've talked to every single new hire class we've ever hired for. We always tell them we want to be the best company to work for in Mexico. So we give them good benefits. We pay our employees well. And then we take a lot of time to make sure that they're getting what they signed up for at the end of the day from us. Um, So our customer success managers are constantly doing one-on-ones. And then we actually use a technology to help this out called CultureAmp, which measures the engagement scores of our employees. And then we go back to work on how to get some higher here and there and really put a lot of emphasis into that work. Awesome. Awesome. One other thing I want to talk to you about is we have a an overall shortage of headcount here in the United States. I know we have an unemployment rate right now, but this is a little slow on the economy. But we, the next generation, I'm a baby boomer, and as us baby boomers retire, the next generation isn't nearly as large. So we're going to have a shortage. And by the way, I've noticed, I told you before we hit record that I wanted to get my car serviced. <laughs> and they said, I, don't, I thought I had a flat tire and they're like, yeah, come back in five days. I had to make it up or six days. I had to make an appointment. I was like, I used to just drop my car off and say, it's got a flat tire, fix it. And I took that for granted. Now I'm making an appointment for my flat tire. And that speaks to, I think, a shortage. By the way, you go out to a restaurant right now, you almost always see the people working at restaurants seem like they're short staffed. During COVID, we certainly saw stores that say closed because we don't have staff. I was in Ann Arbor not so long ago, and I saw one of those signs closed because we don't have staff. That's right now today. So we we have a talent shortage, uh, aging. Again, it says the baby boomers age out. We'll eventually straighten that out, but it's going to be a short-term shortage of people. Mexico, on the other hand, is younger than the United States on average. So they are not aging out. They have plenty of talent. Am I right? Yeah. So- Plenty of talent, great education, great English levels. We picked Mexico because of a lot of different factors, one of them being Roberto had already done due diligence for Mexico and Guadalajara specifically. So he was actually one of the people who helped Coyote open up their Guadalajara, Mexico office. He was living down in Guadalajara at the time. So he went through many different proposals of where to put the office, whether it should be outside of Mexico, in Mexico. And they chose Guadalajara because of that. How far away is Guadalajara from Mexico City? I think about a five-hour drive. So it's still a ways away. Mexico City to us is like New York City in the States. Guadalajara is very much more Chicago. So that's one of the reasons why we like it. it's not freezing cold. (laughs) Yeah, the weather's a bit nicer for sure. Just before COVID, I spent a lot of time in Mexico, um, in well, I, in Laredo and then Nuevo Laredo, right over the border, but also San Luis Potosí, and very impressed with the level of people down there who really understand cross border for sure. And that's what they were working on, but also as I was in a manufacturing plant a lot down there, and very impressed with. The production, I'm, I'm from a back manufacturing engineering background. That's just, those plants are super well run. The logistics operations, super well done. So you could not do it better. 
when I was still in automotive, I won't mention the automaker, but one of the automakers, when we would get the quality reports, the plants, their three highest quality plants were in Mexico. <laughs> and what we used to say is, oh, we'll outsource that to Mexico because it's cheaper. And I think that is that it is going to be the, the labor is less expensive. But if you go in with that mentality, you are really missing out because I think what we have down there is a workforce that is eager, especially to work with American companies because they see a real future in that um, as the two comp- countries come closer. But also they're looking at this as a professional opportunity that they might not have available to them right at that moment. As a developing economy, they'll get it though. <laughs> it won't be long. <laughs> I won't... <laughs> Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree more. So great workforce. And then touching on kind of what you talked about just cross-border, I I can't even log on to LinkedIn today without seeing something about nearshore and cross-border shipments and our moves away from China and investments into Mexico. Our friend Matt Silver made an announcement about his new company doing cross-border. He did. He did. And I love it. And some of our clients actually use us really to position themselves into Mexico much faster than they could do it on their own. To even start a new company in Mexico and start to build a foundation and hire initial staff, you're probably looking at upwards of 12 months. Whereas with us, we can get you people in Mexico within two to three weeks. So just the timeline there, the ability to move a little bit quicker with us is important when companies start to analyze what they're doing to, you know, help this nearshore move. It's not like opening a new office in the United States. There are issues why people do not want to open up in Mexico. You guys have already done. I suspect there's cultural and regulatory issues that would make it difficult to do it on my own. Not saying you don't want to do business there, but if you can get a partner who's already set up and says, "Hey, we've got people on the ground who are right now recruiting, training, onboarding, and doing the very best we can to build a great culture," then why do I want to reinvent that? <laughs> yeah, it, it's extremely challenging for someone to do it on their own, and I completely agree with you. If you have partners that have already been in and understand the intricacies of it then you should absolutely look to partner. So if someone's listening to this podcast and says, Danny Frisco, by the way, I was saying before we hit record, I feel like my life would be so much cooler if I had a name like Danny Frisco, like an old (laughs) (laughs) gunfighter. So if somebody said, Danny Frisco, I like what you had to say. I want to start working with Rapido. What does that look like? Take us through it. They're going to have to reach out and talk to you. They can, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, link to your website so people can reach out and talk to you. They talk to a sales guy, describe this process. How long does it take and what does it take to get this thing going? Yeah. So even myself, I'm still very involved in the sales and working with our clients. So you would talk to me and our VP of sales. We run you through how our process works. Once you sign the contract, it's pretty quick. It takes us about 30 days to onboard a new client. And that onboarding includes staffing however many people they want for uh, their team down in Mexico. So we go through recruiting. 
they have participation in the recruiting. So they get to interview all the employees that have passed through our interview process. Then in about 30 days, we hire their team to start with our training. So we can start with two people. We've started teams before with 30 people at a time. So it's all about the same within that 30-day timeline of how quickly we can get moving. So what about security? So I'm, I want to make sure that my proprietary information doesn't end up in the wrong hands. And all of a sudden, I'm working with people I never met in person. They're in Guadalajara. So all I know is that Danny and his team have vetted them and they seem good, but I'm afraid some other company down there is going to get their hands on my information. How do you prevent that? So that comes in with our IT security. So our IT team makes sure that you can't download anything off our computer, that you can't sit there and take any pictures or anything. We've got cameras set up in the office. You need a fob to get in and out of the building. Um, It's very secure. So honestly, the theft of information or anything like that has never been a big concern of ours. I understand it from the client side, but we take precautions to make sure that's never an issue. Yep. One of the things I like about what's happening with nearshoring like this is your work. How many brokers do you work with right now? Close to around 50. So you guys aren't running one freight brokerage and you're not running any one freight brokerage, but you have insights into how 50 freight brokerages are running their back office or their carrier sales. So before too long, you've become almost like consultants where you have insights that others will never have because they're running one operation when you're running 50. Yeah. Honestly, a lot of these sales calls with companies who don't really know what they're looking for are looking to us to provide insight on how to best do it. Hey, we know that we want to work with a nearshore provider but we don't exactly know what we need or what we want yet. Can you take a look at our operation and make sure what we're thinking of putting together would actually work down in Mexico? Because of my experience in the space and supporting 50 plus freight brokerages right now with our staffing solutions, I'm able to go in and consult most definitely with some of these prospects and and make sure that they understand how to do things right, what not to do, and really how to structure a highly productive team. Yep. So how much am I going to save? Again, I really do think if you're talking to a company like Rapido, cost savings is going to be part of it, but I really think you're limiting yourself if that's how you go in saying, we're going to just save money. I think the quality and the insights you're going to get. And I, it has to be a true partnership. This can't be a transactional thing because it doesn't work. But what am I going to save money-wise per person over there from working with you guys? Yeah, it's typically about 35 to 45% per employee all in. Uh, that nice. includes the office space and the taxes and uh, kind of the, the full cost of an employee. But to your point, Joe, most of our clients don't go in just to save cost. It's to solve that problem that, hey, we're struggling to hire these positions in the US. We're struggling to train them up quickly. We're struggling to retain them. Whether it's in Chicago or Dallas or San Diego, it's just tough in the US right now. So they're looking for partners to help them scale their personnel at the end of the day. 
a bonus for them is, hey, it also saves us cost. Yeah, I think I'm an automotive guy originally. And for a long time, we would outsource stuff to low-cost countries. And what we all observed is before long, that low-cost country had a whole bunch of experts in it. And then all of a sudden, there were certain areas where you go, we aren't even doing that type of work anymore. We can't do it here. That only gets done over in China or in Mexico. Maybe that's a little bit of a risk, but the reality is a lot of freight brokers out there, the leading freight brokers out there are doing this. We all, the numbers are pretty significant. So if you say, oh, that ain't for us, Danny, I love what you're doing, but it's not for me. My people are all going to be in the office. You're basically saying we're going to have a higher cost basis for our heads. And in a low margin business, and this feels really low margin business today, (laughs) that might not cut it. Yeah, absolutely. You're accepting that it's going to be harder for you to compete. I'm sure you can try and make up in other areas of the business, but to your point, Joe, when the top 100 and or 150 brokers are all shifting towards this model and how they're partnering with other companies, it becomes harder and harder over time. Yeah. You mentioned Coyote and Blue Grace. I'm sure they're doing that. They have, I'm, I, I haven't talked to anyone from those companies, but those are the kind of companies that are, are looking into those kind of options. Yeah. Funny enough, I quit my job at Blue Grace and on the same call, I pitched Rapido. It was my first sales call, I call it. And Blue Grace was also our first client. So it oh. came full circle. <laughs> yeah. You must have a pretty good relationship. It's not easy to quit and then pitch them at the same time. <laughs> I did have a very pretty ballsy there, Danny. You might be a gunfighter. <laughs> <laughs> Let's wrap this bad boy up. I'm going to talk, summarize a little bit of what we talked about, and then I want to get your final thoughts on the topic. Um, I will put a link to your LinkedIn profile, link to your website, and any other links you and your marketing team give me. I'll put those in the show notes so people can reach out. But we're talking about building a better freight brokerage with Danny Frisco. We talked about the unit economic costs, and this the overall cost pressure we all see, the margin compression, especially now. But things are going to change in the second and third quarter, hopefully second, maybe third quarter. As things change, there's going to be some companies that have lower economic costs. They are every transaction they do is less expensive than the average. And there's going to be companies who have higher. And you don't want to be one of those who can't compete. Also, you've mentioned recruiting, training, and retaining, onboarding new employees is something that most freight brokerages have not excelled at. It's not like they do a horrible job, but again, this is a low margin business. Everybody's trying to keep costs low keeping somebody on full-time as a recruiter, constantly training, building a culture. Not saying that you need a a specific head for it, but it sounds as if Rapido has specific heads for those things. Uh, Last but not least, we talked about what I'll call the talent shortage in this country. As the baby boomers retire, there is going to be a shortage of people. And that shortage, that generation is going to have more money. They're going to be better educated and they're going to expect more a lot more from employers. And maybe this is to give you a little um, towards uh, nearshoring. Because again, if you can't find people, I'm already seeing it. I never go to a restaurant anymore with without looking around to see how shorthanded they are. Being a waitress, being a waiter, being a busboy, 
those are hard jobs and people are just saying no thanks. I think we're going to see that in a lot of places. Driving a truck, dock work, all that. We're going to have to make those really good jobs for people to do them. So I think we're, it is a, just a natural that we take advantage of all the young talent down in Mexico. Put a big bow on this, Danny Frisco. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. Thanks for having me, Joe. I completely agree with those three topics. I go back to that statement of it's a very low margin business that we're providing services to. And the best are looking how to automate as much as possible and how to outsource as much as possible. And if you do those two things really well and you have really good partners on both sides of it, then you'll be one of those successful companies in the future. And those are the types of companies that we love to partner with. I love it. I love it. I love what you're doing, Danny. Danny, what conferences will we see you and the fine folks from Rapido at? So I'll be at, I mean, I leave tomorrow for BGSA. I don't know if this episode will be out in time, but um, nope, I'll be there nope, this but week. I, I wanted to get to BGSA today and I, or yeah, this is, it is the January 22nd. So I saw people on LinkedIn heading down to, so now you're not just going to see Ben Gordon because it's nice and it's warm in Florida, are you? <laughs> No, yeah, yeah, you're spot on. I think I'm taking an extra three days down there to hang out with my wife and enjoy some sun. Ben Gordon, strategic advisors down there in at Breakers, probably the nicest hotel in the world, and should be a great opportunity. And the who's who of logistics and transportation are down there. So fantastic conference. What other conferences were you going to? I'll be at Manifest. This year, I've been every year since they put it on. That one's really fun. Nice. I'll see you there. That's right. I We talked about it before we hit record. That is February 4th through 7th. And I look forward to being down there, out, out in Vegas. Again, Vegas is much warmer than Chicago or Detroit. In yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. Not that's the only reason we're going. Manifest is a blast. Yes. Yeah. It is. It's a great time. Even bigger and better this year. It's yeah. The focus is having more shippers there, and again, it's unbelievable what's going on there. It's you want to learn about logistics and supply chain. Get out to manifest. Yeah, and then I go to TIA every year, and then that's in April in Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. All right, that'll be another warm one for us. And then <laughs> exactly. I try and pop into a couple of the freight waves ones throughout the year as well. Very nice. Very nice. You can go to the Carrier Broker Summit. I think it's in Kansas City. I have not decided on that one yet. What What do you think? Should I go? I think I'm going to try and go. It's a, a week or two. I think it's 10 days after TIA. So I think it's in late April. So it's a little bit it's a little bit of a stretch, but it's certainly a great conference and getting better every time. Anyway, what I'll do, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, put a link to your website and any other links you and your marketing team give me. And I really love what you're doing. What one more time, who do you serve? Who's the sweet spot for Rapido? Sweet spot for us is anything supply chain. Now we specialize in freight brokerages, carriers, and technology partners in the space. Very nice. Very nice. I love what you're doing. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, appreciate it, Joe. Thanks so much. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward.
You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.